Welcome to the Scale Up Valley podcast, where we bring the best of the best to help you scale your business from 1 million to 1 trillion. Today, we have a very special guest. His name is David Hartman, the Senior Vice President at Growth Ventures at Covestro. David, welcome to the show. Thank you very much. So it's a pleasure to have you on the show. You are also uh, 12 or 16 weeks uh, ahead of us as you are based in, in Shanghai. Uh, we, we are in a very special context with the world in, in lockdown given the pandemic uh, crisis. And something that is also very interesting about you, David, is that you have been uh, a founder, uh, a CEO. You've been working also in a in a in a large corporate uh, during all those years, and you are also helping your own portfolio of uh, startups and scale-ups to to thrive. So you almost cover all the dimensions, all the tables that we usually have in the show in just one person, which is uh, quite amazing. But better than myself introducing yourself, it would be great to get to know more about about yourself uh, before we move forward. Thanks for the introduction. My name is David Hartman, as you already said. I'm within Covestro, which is one of the world's top materials companies, particularly in uh, engineering plastics, polycarbonates, but also foams, polyurethanes. And I run, as you said, a portfolio of, of ventures within that business. I'm based in Shanghai. So around me is, you can't see it here, but around me is Shanghai. Um, we're right on the Huangpu River here. It's a beautiful day. And it's pretty safe here. I mean, we're in a pretty normal environment. Everybody's wearing masks uh, when they go out on the street or when they interact with colleagues. But I think important to say wherever you are in the world, as, as we just heard, we're 16 weeks or so ahead of the rest of the world and life here is really good and normal. And, and I think that's a very reassuring thing. What that means though, is that over the last couple of months, my team and I and the people that I work with have kind of experienced, you know, what it's like to go through this process of, of fear and, and then going through how do you run a business and how do you make sure your family is safe during that difficult time. And for me, uh, yeah, it's been a, been a challenging couple of months, um, effectively being exiled from China for a while. Um, we were in Malaysia when the whole crisis hit and then coming back right. to China. Um, from my side, I run seven different businesses of various sizes. And our goal is really, we understand that our customers in those businesses are going through a lot of questions about, well, they know what today is and they know what the tomorrow might look like, but they don't know how to bridge that. And from a materials perspective, we work with them to help them understand what material options, what uh, need options they need to fulfill in order to get to that future. And then that could be everything from aesthetic support with color mm -hmm. and design, that could be mechanical support. That could be also cooperation partnerships and, and um, yeah, uh, research partnerships or, or business implementation partnerships. So it keeps us pretty active. We have uh, around 150 to 200 people around the world uh, in different teams. So we also have now seen what that means under these challenging times. Got it. That's, that's amazing. And to give just a, um, an idea to the audience about the scale of uh, Covestro, if I'm not wrong, if, if I studied well, uh, Covestro, it was uh, in, the, in the past uh, buyer material science, then it was completely uh, separated from uh, buyer as an independent uh, entity. 
today is also listed in in the DAX um, stock, and we are talking about revenues at the north of 13 billion uh, euros. Uh, so, which is uh, an, an amazing scale just for the audience to have uh, an understanding about uh, the size uh, of uh, Covestro. Uh, mm -hmm. Cool. And um, going to to the, the the critical ingredients that we always cover on on the show: uh, radical focus, uh, world class leadership, and the culture of execution. Uh, in terms of radical focus, as you said, and I think it's uh, very well stated, uh, it's 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 easy to to keep the the vision ahead of us uh, or it's already a, a good step to be able to remember still the vision that we want to achieve in the in the mid long term uh, in the short term uh, we might be a little bit still in shock depending in what stage we are in the business and in what part of the world uh, we are now uh, but it's really the next 12 to 18 months that it's difficult to, to define. And that's why it's so difficult to um, redefine priorities, uh, to redefine OKRs. I know that you are also uh, an enthusiastic, uh, enthusiastic about the sure. OKR yeah. methodology. So how do you define, how do you help your ventures and how do you define also by yourself uh, priorities in such an uncertain scenario or which, with so many scenarios possible uh, in the next 18 months? Um, well, I think critical is really um, two things here, right? One is people and one is customers and our people and how we make sure that they stay calm, how we make sure that they feel secure in order to do the best by the customers. I really think that's the main thing. And right. there's been a lot of, uh, a lot written, a lot of talk about empathy, right? And I think as a leader, the important thing is at this point that we have huge amount of empathy um, and that we veer on the side of generosity when we have empathy for our team members because there's no standard at the moment, right? Everybody is in different situations. Right. Somebody stuck at home with kids is in a totally different situation um, to Absolutely. let's say a young professional worrying about their parents or their grandparents, right? So we have to have that empathy in order to, to adjust. Um, what we use a lot in my team is we think a lot in barbell strategies. And that's something that um, Nassim Nicholas Taleb talks about, where instead of putting all your eggs in one medium risk basket, you kind of separate into a large chunk of very low risk and mm -hmm. a smaller chunk of extremely high risk. And, and we think about our time and our priorities in that way. So if you think about a master craftsman, right, um, they would not scurry around doing a million tasks at the same time they'd maybe look at a system and touch mm -hmm. one or two things and get a massive result, right? And that, that's what I'm looking right. for for my team. I don't want them to look busy. I, I really want them to exercise their craft, right? And, and we right. do that a lot, thinking about that with barbell strategies. Um, another thing right. that we do a lot is there's a lot of wishful thinking in business, right? And, and hmm. I think the emphasis for me is I don't mind mistakes. I think it's totally cool to make mistakes, even sometimes the same mistake twice. But I do mind when we lie to ourselves about what the reality on the ground is. And I think Ray Dalio mm -hmm. talks about that really well, right? What is your ground truth? It doesn't mean you can't have ambitious goals or dreams, but what is that ground truth? Especially now, you know, there's a lot of ground truths that are being challenged and a lot of um, opportunity to lie to ourselves about what's really going on 
what's Absolutely. really going on with our teams, what's really going on in the market. And then that's something we should avoid at all costs. And then, and then I think the last thing from my side is I really focus on our longer term vision hasn't changed. Even if we can only do small things in that direction, uh, like reach out to um, uh, uh, even just minor customers and say, hey, is there any way we can help you during this time, right? Um, that's important. The risk is that we get paralyzed and that we see, oh, it's fear paralysis. We're in this horrible situation. We can't do anything. That's not true. We can, the, the longer term vision hasn't changed. Let, let's keep moving in that direction. So that's the, the thing. I, I think as a leader, and I don't think I'm there yet, right? So I'm not saying that I'm capable of that, but I think ultimately we want to be people that kind of emit this huge sense of calm because that's contagious right and when we emit a sense of fear or agitation that's also contagious yeah um so i I hope my teams get the impression that i'm calm settled and i'm there as a servant to them um not as somebody who's more scared or more worried or more agitated not saying i succeed always (laughs) absolutely and it's curious it's difficult also to find the balance uh, between uh not being fake, uh, being uh, real and being vulnerable, uh, but at the same time, do not be so real and so vulnerable that, as you said, we are uh, not only panicking ourselves, but also making all our team panicking, which is, uh, which is a pity. Uh, yeah. Look, I think um, authenticity and vulnerability are always okay. And anybody who takes advantage of that, um, well, you probably don't want to spend too much time with those people anyway, right? But there's a difference between vulnerability and panic, right? Um, I'm totally okay admitting to my team that I'm scared, right? I mean, my family has been through some tough months the last few months, and there were times when I was really scared for my family, and I was totally okay to discuss that with my team. But they, I hope that they, they could see that that fear did not translate into me panicking and losing my head and losing uh, a sense right. of direction, right? And that, that's the difference. Correct. That's, a, that's an amazing uh, one. So, and, and moving to the, um, to the next uh, component, uh, a world-class leadership, which is also related to about what we are discussing now. So it's all about keeping the vision alive, uh, saying that we, 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 are, we, are, we keep um walking in the same direction our vision is exactly the same this is just an obstacle that we were not expecting it will get us stronger and everything will be okay and we will get there without the, as you said without lying to ourselves and seeing that the reality is is really uh challenging and uh, but having also the um, the conviction that we will get through this and as a team we are able to to attack this and get even stronger out of this. Something very interesting that we that we discussed it, um, in a previous conversation is the this difference between wartime and peacetime. And uh, sometimes the teams behave in a different way in wartime and peacetime. Leaders also also behave in a different way. There are leaders, typically entrepreneurs, that even in peacetime, uh, inside their companies are in wartime. So they are very comfortable with with wartime. And you were commenting that uh, in in China uh, it's always wartime because it's it's so competitive. Uh, but 
comment a little bit more about this. So how do you structure your team for a wartime scenario um, and uh, how to assure that we have the right people on the right seats to, to face the challenge that we, that we are facing today? Yeah, I think this wartime peacetime discussion, as you said, we had it a few days ago. I think that's hugely exciting. Um, and I think there's kind of an implicit value attached, right? That somehow the skills in wartime are more highly prized than the skills in peacetime. So I don't think it's that way at all, right? I think that yes, there are certain skills that are needed, but both are equally complex, right? If you're in peacetime, you wanna be behaving uh, in a way much more sensitively um, then you need to be much more alert to what, when you make moves in the market, when you uh, work with your team, when you attack new projects, what kind of feedback you're getting. And, and in Asia, I think it's just a fact, certainly in our industry, and I think in many other industries, uh, downstream and otherwise, the Asian competitive environment has always been much, much um, more complex, right? Whereas you mm -hmm. might have a handful um, or, or 10 competitors in the US or in Europe, here you might have be faced with 30, 40 competitors and right. each of them extremely hungry um, and, mm -hmm. and with very little history, right? So little history means there are no uh, industry norms, right? There's no, oh, we did that 30 years ago. That's why we don't do that today. They just don't have that, right? And I think from a leadership perspective, that means that as, as wartime leaders in Asia, we're, we're much more likely to try new things out um, just because that's what the competitive environment demands, right? Um, and we have to move at a much, much faster um, iteration cycle speed, right? And maybe that's then the link to entrepreneurship, entrepreneurship, right? That entrepreneurs are very used to having an extremely fast iteration speed because they just can't afford not to. There's no money available to wait for ages during an iteration, right? Um, what, what I would say though is the best wartime leaders that I've seen are ones that are very clear on their values. Because when you're at wartime and when things are very competitive, it's very tempting uh, to step out of your value zone. And I don't care what your values are, right? I know what mine are. I know what yeah. the organization I work for has as values. And I would not step out of them because I would consider it, um, it would be in, A, it would be inauthentic and B, it would be short-sighted, right? So mm -hmm. I don't think wartime is a call to, um, to you know, results at any cost. Um, right. In fact, in the contrary, I think you lose people very fast if you betray the values on the basis of which you recruited them and, and motivated them, right? Absolutely. Uh, something that interesting that you said in, in when we were discussing radical focus is, and this is also about world-class leadership, is having the courage to be unpopular, uh, which is... Uh, we tend to lie to ourselves during these stages. So this is not a moment to talk to our customers. Um, we will completely lose the next uh, two quarters. And as you said, there is always something that we can do to move forward. Yeah. Uh, it's, as you said, it, it can be that maybe some of those clients also have a little bit more time to discuss the future and they will appreciate to have this brainstorming about, about the future or even to share uh, some knowledge about uh, your relationships and your access to information across your your network to to let them know a little bit more about how looks the context. Imagine that you are 
in a in a group like yours uh, with providers and and customers in in Europe, and you can provide this context that you are living in China and trying to anticipate what what will be going on uh, there. It it can add well. So, how do you inspire people, as you said before, to not lie to themselves and to not and to not avoid action, uh, but at the same time to not move to action without having um, uh, a clear understanding about what they will do. So, so what I mean is not doing just by doing, but by doing something that is deliberately will move us forward in the direction of the vision. Um, I think, you know, you and I discussed last time the topic about culture of execution, right? And how you build up yeah. a rhythm, right? And, and I think that's very important. <clears throat> what we've got is the moment is a situation where people tend to have a day-to-day -day routine, a rhythm in their lives, right? Yes. Whether it's, you know, I'm going to visit five customers in a week or, or whatever it is, right? I'm going to come into the office 8 a.m. in the morning. I'm going to see these people. And now all of a sudden that's gone, right? Their, their rhythm, their routine is totally gone. And they're physically not interacting with people anymore. Um, and I think the trick is now to help them think of how they could reevaluate their routines and make them more powerful, right? Uh, you mentioned OKRs. I'm a huge fan of OKRs. I think we use them quite effectively uh, in my organization, not to cascade ideas down, but more to get this kind of network effect going. And the advantage mm -hmm. with OKRs is that you can, and we have done through this crisis, partially rewritten those OKRs to cope with very rapidly changing situations, right? Whereas if you're working with a yearly planning model, um, then it's very difficult to tell people, well, your mid-year review is going to look very different than the goals we discussed in January, right? right. Um, but if you've got an OKR approach, maybe a six-week kind of approach, we were, we were able to tweak that very quickly. Um, yeah, I think... Equally important is having that shared sense of vision and purpose. And I think maybe that's one thing where you look at wartime leaders in history, they have been forced and the successful ones tend to have been much more capable of communicating where we want to go, not just past this crisis, but, but in the longer term. Um, and that's something we spend a lot of time in. What do we need to visualize the, our vision for the future. And it's got to be simple. It's got to be powerful. It's got to be something that people are passionate about. Um, I'm very happy because uh, one of the things that motivates me personally is the whole drive towards circular economy and sustainability. And that's something that, you know, for me is non-negotiable. And even yeah. though, of course, we're far away from everybody in the chemical industry is far away from awesome. But what I see in my colleagues and in my organization and our CEO is really the belief that it's necessary to drive in this direction and actively looking for rational tools to get us there. And, and that's a vision that I can get behind, but that's also a vision that can be powerfully translated to the teams. Um, I'm just thinking what else during this time. I think the other thing is it depends how you see life and the world, right? And I want my people to think of life in business, maybe also in private, even that's really none of my business, um, to think of life in terms of infinite opportunities and infinite possibilities, mm -hmm. right? To look at this crisis period, yeah, it's shitty. Yeah, we're in trouble. Yes, it hurts. Right. But in all this hurt, there is an amazing seed of opportunity, right? And I know that sounds cliched, um, and maybe it is cliched, but it is something that people can live on day to day, right? And, and it's something that, that I try to do with my team as much as possible. Got it.
And, and going to that uh, last critical ingredient that you already introduced, uh, the culture of execution and using OKRs and using the rituals and the routines to help us move forward. Uh, there is something curious that we, are, we have discussed in the previous episodes in this wartime season, which is exactly keeping the same routine on one side so people uh, feel much safer that they are they're kind of following the same kind of routine, nothing changes in a, in a certain way. But at the same time, people need uh, much more flows of communication or uh, as, as the context is changing a lot. So we are seeing people doing uh, dailies uh, and, and they, they've never applied before a daily. Uh, they are doing all, also weekly, all ends with all the team, updating all the, the company about what is going on every single week because every single week, seems a month or a quarter uh, nowadays. So what are some of the rituals uh, that are being more productive and more useful to you to have everyone on the same page, especially, I'm not sure, uh, and you can also explore a little bit more about there, if you have people um, at home uh, as well in Shanghai, or if you are already all of you on, in the office, so how do you are managing this uh, post uh, the, the high season of the crisis? Yeah, um, maybe just a short uh, comment about <clears throat> on our status. So to begin with, China was very affected, right? And, and, and the colleagues in Shanghai were stuck in their offices and it was a horrible time, right? I mean, it's the time that everybody here is going through, um, everybody worldwide is going through, but apartments in Shanghai are not big. Um, certainly, okay, Hong Kong and, and, and Japan are probably worse off, but Shanghai is pretty tough, right? And these are usually multiple generations living in a household. It's very, very tough. And then after a while, I think second week of March, everything shifted and then my team's outside of the US. And it was great, it, well, it was horrible, but it was also good because we had seen that period of things getting bad in China and everybody else was aware, hey, this is what it took in China for us to remain operational as a business and to continue to serve our customers. And, and for instance, we serve healthcare customers uh, for uh, blood separation, for dialysis. You cannot go down for that, right? If you do not supply, you are directly endangering lives. And I'm glad to say we supplied and we have the thank you letters from customers. And my teams who worked during that time, they saved lives, right? They, they were there. Amazing. Um, but, but the advantage was that teams in the US, teams in Europe were already aware, hey, this is what it took. Um, one of our manufacturing sites sent masks to Asia during that time. And when, the, and when everything de-escalated in Shanghai, that Shanghai team sent masks back, uh, right? So this, yeah, it was extremely dynamic and, and very cool to see the people. It was beautiful. You talked about having safe uh, environments and I think that is crucial you know we have a mm. lot of we have access to a lot of leadership tools uh, some of them don't work but many of them do work um, one of mm -hmm. them is fear you can lead successfully through fear um, you mm. can I've seen it and you can but it's and it's effective in the short term it might even be effective in the midterm but when people have a choice that's not the environment they want to work in right so I think Right. To get the best out of people, we need to give them safety. And it's not so much physical safety. I think that's more of a given, but rather also emotional safety, the safety to talk about unpopular truths without getting beaten up, right? The safety mm -hmm. to have an off day and then not be judged. The safety right. um, 
that nobody's going to gossip about you, right? If you've done something or, or even if you haven't, right? But that <laughs> your personal life remains your personal life, right? Um, right. And, and I think that is really, really important. I think if you lead through fear, it will fall apart. Um, when it comes to reestablishing these rhythms, we saw a lot of different behavior. I was just talking to our Southeast Asia team and they have a Friday night cocktail uh, where mm -hmm. on everybody gets together on Teams or whatever it right. is they use and, and it kind of shares through that. Um, and we've been able, using those kind of methods, we've been able to have conversations that we wouldn't otherwise be able to have, right? And I notice in, generally, in general, we have a pretty, I would say a medium hierarchical structure, right? Um, there are definitely flatter organizations, but there are also way more hierarchical organizations. Mm -hmm. And what I've noticed is during this crisis, a very strong a flattening of the organization uh, where the people who approach me are approaching just to say, hey, thanks for reaching out or, hey, I'm in trouble here, but they're not doing it through their hierarchy um, because it's okay during this crisis time to reach out to anybody. Um, maybe right. because they think I'm geographically there or, or whatever, right? And that I really like. That's a new routine that we absolutely need to keep, right? Absolutely. And, and this, these are also times where we see new leaders emerging, all right? So which is also a great opportunity to develop uh, a leadership pipeline that, that we know it's, it's critical to, to scale. It's critical to scale startups and, and scale ups and it's critical to scale large corporates. So usually the main bottleneck to scale is really having enough leaders to uh, pursue new opportunities and to execute uh, those uh, opportunities. Are you seeing uh, in your context leaders emerging? Is this something that resonates with, with you during, during wartime? Um. I would for sure say yes. I think you see in this wartime who's paralyzed and who's not, who steps up and who doesn't. Um, but I am hesitant to draw conclusions right. at this time, right? Because um, like different, it's what I said before, there's no general rule at the moment, right? Every, there's no norm. So everybody is under pressure in a different way, right? Um, you know, if both of your parents have got the coronavirus hmm. um, point. and you're worried that your kids will get it, you will step up differently from somebody who's by themselves, right? I, I guess Absolutely. I'm more looking for how do people empathize, right? Yeah. I, I don't want people who, t who I, I don't want a lot of showy kind of this is what we're doing and it's great. But if I hear that somebody's reached out to help a customer or a colleague um, and then not talked about it because that kind of behavior is just totally mm -hmm. natural, that for me is leadership, you know? And then I'm super proud and I just want to go and give that person a hug, right? Which I can't. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> right? <laughs> not yet. <laughs> not yet, exactly. But, but it's those kind of things that, that I think are really crucial. Plus also... Um, there are people who lead awesomely out of very steady routines and we need those people too, right? That may not fit to the entrepreneurial mode, that may not fit to thing, but we need those people as well and we can't afford to alienate them, right? Um, um, and my, you know, I think 
really successful corporate leaders pull people with them. Um, and of course, at some stage, you have to say, look, this group of people, they're not coming with us. It's fine. They have to find their own way. But I think the best corporate leaders know how to pull different groups of people in the same direction and using different tools, right? That may be different for, for entrepreneurs, but certainly for corporate leaders, it's, uh, leaders, it's important. Absolutely. And, and before we close the show with uh, one of our favorite questions, I just wanted to, uh, you know, I, I'm sure that everyone that is listening to the, the podcast is mainly uh, our main audiences in, in the West uh, and also in, in the East across Southeast Asia, um, but not in, in China at the moment. So everyone is curious to know uh, what will look like. So nowadays, do you already have more people in the office with you or are, do you still have a lot of people working from home? So what is your new normal uh, at this stage in, in Shanghai? Mm-hmm. Well, first of all, it doesn't go for the production teams, right? Um, um, I think production has stayed pretty consistently open. And I have, uh, yeah, I, I really have so much respect for those teams, right? I mean, if you're the head of a production site in the chemical industry, you're like the captain of a military vessel, right? And, and the Amazing. worst thing that happens to you is your site goes down, right? And you think about it, those people came in during the worst of the crisis when for sure they were scared as hell for their families um, and still came in and ran those plants because you just can't safely shut down chemical plants just like that, right? And, and then restart them. And for many of our customers, um, supplying or not supplying to them means life or death for, for, for end customers, right? So that's something that, yeah, I've never worked in the production technology organization, but I've worked with a lot of those guys. And, and yeah, it really excites me to see that kind of morale. For our teams today in office environments and R&D environments, I think we're 50% back to normal here. I don't know what the exact number is, but it seems to me, at least my teams are, are 50% working from home, 50% in the office. We all wear, I can show you, we all walk mm-hmm. around like this, right? Um, even in the office, if we're sitting at our desk, we'll take off our mask, but whenever mm-hmm. we interact with others, um, we're in the office. In China, we have a QR code on our phone that says whether we're okay to travel to office locations and so on, or whether we've been in contact with a problematic person, or somebody who's been exposed, or whether we actually are at strong risk of being exposed. And depending on that QR code color, then it also defines, are we allowed to go into shopping malls and to um, um, office buildings and so on. But a Apart from that, if I look outside my window in Shanghai, everything is pretty much back to normal. Um, and even though for sure the risk of interacting with other people is still there to a certain extent, but people are really happy to get out of their apartments and come back Imagine. and have a coffee at work, you know, and, and, and it does make a difference. Because it has been from end of December or beginning of January to almost beginning of March uh, when, when, when everyone end of is, January, end of January, end of January. Yeah. So it was eight, eight to 10 weeks uh, between eight and 10 weeks. Right. So, yeah, which so is, I think people said they've been about 70 days um, stuck at home. Yeah. So that's, that's kind of what is the, um, the projection in, in Europe and in the US at this moment that people will stay a, a part of March uh, 
all April and parts of May, and then uh, people will come back, uh, uh, you know, uh, in a in a certain pace. Not everyone coming to from one day to um, to another at the same time. Cool. Thanks for giving us a little bit more uh, context and giving us light, as you said in the beginning. But can yeah. I can I add one more thing? Um, of course. Um, uh, I think. Um, so when the when everybody was uh, exiled at home, I was in Malaysia because we were stuck there during Chinese New Year. We would not have fled China, but by coincidence, for Chinese New Year, we were in Malaysia. My wife is Malaysian, and these these families were stuck at home. And the thing that worried me the most is what's going on with the children. How do you explain this to small children? Their parents are scared, um, right. and kids pick up on that like crazy, right? And and um, but nobody's explaining to them what's going on. Um, and so we would video Skype uh, or, or using WeChat with the team and kind of walk through a park and say, look, this is, life is normal in other places around the world. There's parks, there's sunshine. Um, and, and I think that kind of thing made a big difference. But it also gave me a, mud, a really, really unbelievable level of respect for uh, mothers um, with their children who are working. Um, I have, uh, I still have in Europe, in the US, um, moms who are separated from their husbands. Uh, so the husband is working in another location, they can't get together. And the mother works the full time and looks after the kids the full time. Um, and we try and of course accommodate that as much as, as much as possible. But even with accommodation from the business, I cannot imagine the amount of pressure uh, that these moms are under. And, and I think for all of the people uh, who are watching this podcast, you know, think hard about your team members who are parents and who are in that situation. And it's very hard to empathize sufficiently. Um, and, and I think it calls for a special effort. Absolutely. That's, that's, on, that's off for them. It's, it's really uh, impressive. Uh, the attitude of, of uh, amazing heroes uh, that are fighting this pandemic crisis with, with a lot of courage uh, because they are also, as you said, they are also scared, they are also facing the fear, but they are choosing to serve all of us uh, and to go through that fear to, to serve us and, and to feel also uh, aligned with their values, as you said uh, before. So, which is quite uh, amazing. And we come to the end of the show and it seems that we would love to stay another hour uh, here discussing. Um, so if you would have the opportunity to meet yourself uh, at the beginning of your journey at Covestro, uh, what advice would you, would you offer to, to that David that joined at uh, Covestro in, in the first day? Yeah, when we were talking about this last time, um, I'm a, my, my son and I, my older son and I, we watch a lot of Mythbusters. Uh, for those of you who don't know Mythbusters, American television series focused on uh, testing myths through science. Um, the hosts are Adam Savage and Jamie Heineman. I think they had a 13 or 14 year run, uh, definitely worth checking out with your kids. And the one of the hosts, Adam Savage, who's one of the, I would say, leaders in the making community in the US, he wrote in his autobiography that what he would say to his younger self is, you know, when you when you drill into something with a power drill, um, you're tempted to apply lots of pressure and, and go as fast as you can. But actually what you need to do is you need to apply cooling liquid, and make sure your drill bit stays cool, and really apply power selectively. Yeah? And, and he said, you know, my recommendation to my younger self is, you know, go slower and apply more cooling fluid, right? Um, and 
I would say that to myself, you know, instead of trying to do too many things, really figure out the thing that's going to make the difference and, and apply that more slowly. Um, and, uh, but I wouldn't want my younger self to change. Um, that's how I got um, to my current self. Um, and I'm, yeah, I'm just wondering how I can grow faster and, and, um, uh, um, and maybe be a bit wiser. Yeah. And that's definitely a suggestion for that. Amazing. Uh, so, David, thanks so much for making the time to, to share your experience and your career you. uh, with us and to get us insights also to be prepared for the next uh, 16 weeks. Uh, Ed, thanks again for joining us. Thank you. Have a great day. Bye. And to our community, thanks for being on that side. We keep bringing you the best of the best so you can navigate uh, this pandemic crisis in the best shape possible. And don't forget to keep your vision alive, your values alive, and your mission alive. That's what you need to repeat the most during these war times so you get stronger to scale up again during peacetime. So see you soon and uh, stay healthy.